Welcome to Bowler Seventh Avenue Church. Um, I don't know about you, but it's easy to get in a rush on Saturday morning, and you're in such a hurry to to get here and getting the kids in the car and focusing on all the things to to get here in the morning. And as you, if you take time when you're driving through Boulder, you see a lot of people that are really active out there. They're riding their bikes, they're running, they're walking. Sometimes they're on skateboards, and uh, there's a lot of emphasis on health in Boulder. There's people. Uh, any sort of diet is accommodated in Boulder, right? If you're vegetarian, very easy to eat in Boulder. Um, people are really focused on their health, and everybody's kind of got an angle on why they're healthier or what they're doing for their health. And my thoughts of, of health have changed a lot over the years. I went to medical school uh, years ago, and, and that obviously changed a lot of what I thought about health. And I became a physician and whatnot. But my thoughts changed more about health when I had a near-death experience when I was 37. So I went to Las Vegas for an orthopedic conference, getting a little continuing medical education. And in, in so doing, uh, we go to these conferences. You get up at 6 in the morning, and you go to a meeting, and then um, you come out and go to breakfast at 7 o'clock, and another meeting, it's a breakfast meeting, and then 8 o'clock, you're, you're in meetings all till lunch. A lot of times you do a lunch meeting, meetings all afternoon, supper meeting. A reunion afterwards, and it's frequent that you sleep about five hours, and the rest of the time you're just going. And you do that all week. And so a lot of times there's not a lot of vegetarian food available. Um, I'm 99% vegetarian. I, I can fudge just a little bit, but not very much. And so I often don't find really good food to eat when I'm there, and I lose a few pounds in the process. And so when, you know, as that happens, you lose water weight. And so you start your way towards dehydration if you don't drink enough water. Well, there's not water available. So you go out and there's this huge conference floor with 10,000 orthopedic surgeons, and there's uh, about 20 to 30,000 people from the sales industry there. It's just a sea of people, and there's nowhere to get a drink. And so you don't drink enough water, so there's number two for being dehydrated. And then you're in an arid environment in Las Vegas, you know, so there's number three. And at the end of the week, I think, you know, I haven't exercised as much as I should. I should really go for a run before, before my flight. So I do, but I don't leave myself enough time to get a drink of water afterwards. So number four for dehydration, and I jump on my flight and head back to Denver. And I'm focused. I'm reading this article, and I'm just sitting in one place on the plane reading this article, and I get so into it, I just don't move at all on the flight on the, on the way back. And I get here, and everything seems fine. And the next day, I'm doing my surgery, uh, surgery schedule, and it's heavy manual labor that I do, uh, sterile carpentry, basically, right? So I'm working in there, and I'm doing my usual allotment of surgeries that day, but I'm tired, and I've got this weird pain in my side. I'm like, well, it's probably intercostal soreness, you know, running, I'm kind of out of shape, and then maybe that's what that is, and uh, it's probably nothing. Well, the next day, I'm in clinic, so now I'm just kind of sitting there, I'm seeing patients, I'm not doing anything physical at all, and I'm exhausted. I'm just flopping down in a chair like this, and in between patients, just tired, I can just barely keep going, and my side is killing me. And I'm like, something is really wrong. So after the end of the day, you know, I wait to the end of the day, of course, don't stop in the middle. Uh, at the end of the day, I go to the emergency room, and I don't go to the front of the emergency room like a normal person would. I kind of go to the back where the doctors are and tell the emergency room doctor, hey, I got this thing. Do you think you could kind of check me out? 
So they don't go through the usual process. They don't take my blood pressure and do labs and all this other stuff. They're just kind of like, well, we'll just get an ultrasound on your abdomen, just kind of make sure your liver and everything else is okay. And you'll, yeah, we'll just get you out of here. So I went in and had my ultrasound done and the ultrasound text, oh, I see a lot of your patients and this, you know, thing we have together. And so, and it's negative. And she says, it's negative. I know I can't really tell you that. The radiologist will read it in a few hours, but you're okay. And so I talked to the emergency room doctor, kind of wink, wink, and I'm off on the road, right? So I didn't really, not really seen. So I go home and I'm thinking, I'm just kind of getting too into my body and feelings and I just need to ignore this stuff more. And so at three in the morning, I wake up and I'm breathing like you're sprinting, like, like this, laying there, waking up at three in the morning from, from sound sleep. And uh, as soon as I sat up, I caught my breath and everything was okay. And I thought, this is not good. Um, and I had this horrible anxiety, like this feeling like I'm going to die. And I went to the bathroom, and I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm like, what is the matter with you? You're having an anxiety attack. And I'm trying to kind of talk myself down from the ledge. I'm just like, you just need to calm down. What is wrong? And so I took a hot shower, and I kind of had some more time to think about it. And I'm like, no, something really is wrong. You're not a hypochondriac. It, something's not right. And so I quietly sneaked out of the house. I didn't want to wake my wife up, right? That would, that would be too wrong to inconvenience her. I didn't want to wake up the kids. So I sneak out of the house, don't tell anyone where I'm going, and I drive back to the emergency room. But this time I go through the front, right? They take my vitals and then labs, and they do all the stuff like I was a normal human being. And this time, in one of the labs, it's, it's positive for a blood clot. And so they do a CAT scan of my chest, and I have a blood clot in my lung. And so it was blocking one of the big arteries to my lungs, and so that's why I woke up not being able to breathe. And so after having a little discussion about that, they tell me, there's about a 2% chance that you're going to die. I'm like, well, that's just great. Um, and we recommend that you stay in the hospital. So I was like, well, why? Well, you might need oxygen, but I don't need oxygen now. Now I'm, I'm fine. Well, you're right. And, um, well, but you need blood thinners. Well, can I take those at home? Yes. Okay, well, why don't I go home then? So I might as well die at home. And they're like, okay. And so the, the poor pulmonologist did something he's never done before. He let me go home with a pulmonary embolism because I was either going to die or I wasn't. So I went home and I took my blood thinners and um, I had to take two weeks off of work. So I had a busy schedule and I had to cancel it all. And, um, and I also was scheduled to go on family vacation with my wife and family to Southern California to Loma Linda. Clearly I couldn't do that. That's another plane trip, which is not a good idea when you have a clot. And then after that, I was supposed to go on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic in Haiti. And I couldn't do that because that's not a good idea either. And so uh, I had a month off basically to just kind of sit at home and kind of reflect on my life and my relationship with God and the possibility of death and was I really at peace with God or, or not. And, and so I found myself reading the Bible more than, than I had previously uh, by far. And I found myself particularly interested in the texts on, on healing and health. And I found myself interested in the health message of the Adventist church and all kinds of things about health that I hadn't really been interested in before. And as I thought about death, I thought, I wonder if I'll, I mean, I'll, I'm sure I'll make it through this one, but what's to keep me from getting another one and then another one and another one?
Um, and I wondered, I wonder if I'll make it till I'm 40. I wonder if I'll make it to see my kids grow up. I wonder if I'll see my grandkids. I wonder if I'll be there when Sherry's uh, older and with Cassie and, you know, and sort of the end of life times. I wonder if I'll be there. And I started getting really interested in living to be 100. I said, you know, 100's a good number. Let's, let's make that happen. So I don't know if any of you guys can relate to that. Have anybody had a, a near-death experience or maybe somebody in your family or somebody? And it changes you, right? It changes your priorities, changes your outlook on your, on your life and what's important and what's not important and where you focus your time. It changes everything. And the world is interested in living to be 100. It's not just me, right? And Dan Buettner... Um, teamed up with the National Geographic and the National Institute on Aging to study areas of the world where the percentage of people living to be 100 was the highest. Dan Buettner is an, is an entrepreneur, he's a public speaker, he's a lot of different things, uh, but that's, he did this, uh, this study. And he has a TED Talk that's available, um, and you can YouTube it or whatever, and uh, it's called Living to be Greater than 100. And, um, and this is a video from, it's actually about seven years ago now that this thing came out. And so we'll be talking sort of from his talk for a while, and it'll be really obvious when I'm done uh, quoting him. But at any rate, um, he starts off with the Danish twin study, and he, uh, we find that about 25% of longevity is based on genes, and about 75% is based on lifestyle. So what is the best lifestyle? What makes us live longer? Is it marathons, yoga, supplements, diet, exercise? Is it having a sense of purpose? Is it spirituality? Or is community somehow involved? Is it our faith? We are programmed for procreation. We're programmed to attract a mate, to have children, and then to assist those children in getting older. And we're not programmed to long, last a long time. We're programmed to just generation after generation go on. So to make it to 100, you have to have lived well, but you also have to have hit the genetic lottery. There are a couple of myths about aging. So one is if I try really hard, I can live to be 100. False. There's another myth about aging. If I take some sort of age-stopping therapy or treatment, then I won't age anymore. False, right? We have about 35 trillion cells, right? Trillion with a T, capital, you know, this is our national debt numbers, right? In, in maybe 10 years. Um, and so this is, this is a lot of cells, and these cells are constantly turning over. Some of the cells, like platelets, turn over in about a week. Other cells, like bone cells, turn over much more slowly. And it's kind of like, if you remember far enough back where we had like a tape, like a tape recorder tape, and you could record that tape onto another tape from your friend or whatever, and then you could record that tape onto another tape, and so on. And about eight tapes later, it's trash, right? You can't even recognize the original recording. This is kind of the way it is with our DNA as we age. Um, things are deteriorating. So we, our capacity seems to be about 90 years of age, but average life expectancy is 78. So on average, we're leaving about 12 years on the table. The Blue Zone Project with Dan Buettner was about how do you get as many of those 12 years back as you can? So the first place they studied, the first Blue Zone, is Sardinia. Sardinia is an island off the coast of Italy, and it is off on the eastern part of Sardinia, on this island, there is a mountainous area called the Noro province. 
And in the Noro province, there's a people that are, do a lot of sheep herding and things like this. They live in houses that are very vertical because it's very mountainous terrain. And this is where we find that men live to be the longest. And, they, and so this culture is built with people doing light manual labor and a lot of walking. They have a durum wheat uh, bread that they make that they take to the fields. Uh, they have a plant-based diet. So although they aren't complete vegetarians, they eat a lot of plant-based uh, food. They have a cheese that is very high in omega-3 because it comes from grass-fed animals rather than cord-fed animals, which tend to be high in omega-6s. Um, they have a wine that they drink in the evenings, which is three times higher in polyphenols than other areas. It's called Conanau. And their social equity keeps increasing as they get older. So in the U.S., have you ever noticed that the social equity is the highest at about age 24? Right? So you see the magazine covers and who's featured and everything, and it just seems like it's decline after that. In this culture, social equity keeps getting greater as you get older. They value wisdom and age and experience, and so they're more likely to have a centenarian of the month calendar. Um, and so our, our next population is Okinawa, Japan. So in Okinawa, this is where we find that women live to be the longest, and they have the longest disability-free lifestyle or free life. So this is really great, right? You go for a really long time and you don't really have any problems. Diseases are much more rare. They have a plant-based diet and they eat a lot of tofu. They also have all these little tricks to avoid overeating. So they use very small plates, they take the food out of the refrigerator and they serve it in the, in the kitchen and they take those plates into the dining room or whatever, they put the food back and they, they eat it, so it's very hard to get seconds compared to if you just eat out of a common serving dish. And they have this thing, the 80% rule. So when you're 80% done eating, you stop because they know that there's this lag time between the stomach and the mind for a sense of fullness. They live in a community. So on average in America, we have less than two friends. Right? It used to be three. Now we're down to one and a half. And they live in a community with six friends. They're very tight uh, knit communities, and they spend decades together in these tight-knit communities. And there's sort of an understanding that it, if you do really well, you'll share the bounty with your friends, and if you do poorly, you'll, you'll help each other out. If there's a death in the family or whatever, they'll help each other's kids and, and different things like this. And they have a sense of purpose. If you ask any of them, um, what is your reason for getting up in the morning, they can tell you right away why they get up in the morning, what their sense of purpose is. They don't have any such thing as retirement. The most dangerous years of life are the, is the year you're born because of infant mortality and the year you retire. So they don't do retirement. They don't even have a word for it. The next population is Loma Linda in Southern California. So Seventh-day Adventists, um, we know a lot about them, right? But I'm going to talk about them like it's a third person, like <laughs> they're somebody else, because this is from their perspective, okay? So Seventh-day Adventists, on average... Men live 11 years longer, and women live nine years longer, was their finding. The thing that's so unique about Adventists is it's not this genetic population where they've been there forever, and you could argue that maybe they have some little environmental thing or some little thing that they, makes them live longer. These people come from all over, right? Seventh-day Adventists have all different races, all different uh, origins, and the only thing they have in common is their Seventh-day Adventist. And what they found is they, they tried to distill it down to five things that they believe about Seventh-day Adventists make us live longer. So one is our vegetarian diet. 
Another is taking the Sabbath off, having a 24-hour sanctuary in time, they, they called it, where we spend time with our family, our God, and our community. Another is having a social network. Um, in Loma Linda, the, it's a very much a community and a kind of a tight network of friends. Um, the emphasis on exercise that we have, and they talked about um, exercise actually being hardwired into our religion, which I, just, I thought was a fascinating thing. Um, an example of that would be like our nature walks that we go for. Uh, a few weeks ago, we went out uh, up Mount Sanitas together, I guess uh, proving the point. Um, and then our faith, uh, the way that we um, attend church and we believe that God will sort of take our cares and worries for us and we sort of put that on God rather than internalizing that stress. And so with these three populations, coupled with a population in Costa Rica where he didn't go into a lot more detail, he came up with the Dan Bootner common denominators. The first one is moving naturally. So these populations, none of them really exercise per se so much. What they do is they set up their lives so they're always moving. So in um, the case of the Sardinians, they have these vertical homes, they're walking up and down stairs to their house, they're walking around after the sheep, and so there's a lot of activity. Um, in the case of Okinawans, they sit on the floor and they get up over 40 times a day. They do a lot of manual labor, they're churning butter, and they're doing everything that you do with hitting a switch, they're doing something to do it. And it's similar to like running a Stairmaster for them all day long, you know, they're, they're working out. Um, and um, the second is having the right outlook on life. So having a positive outlook, like the future has something positive and it holds something good for you rather than being negative. Taking time to downshift, where you just kind of relax and let some of the stress uh, go away. Having a sense of purpose. That seems to be the biggest one, actually. It accounts for seven years of life, according to the, the Blue Zone studies. Um, feeling like you, you mean something and there's a reason why you're there and, and you know what you're doing in life. The plant slant, so either being vegetarian or very close to it uh, was the fifth. The sixth one is the 80% rule. So um, being very mindful about not overeating uh, seems to be very important. Um, number seven, he's recomm uh, he recommends drinking a little bit of alcohol each day in moderation. And number eight, family first. Uh, so focus on your family. And number nine, uh, living in a faith-based community. So it's Newsflash, Boulder, right? Exercise isn't on the list, right? We don't have marathons and century rides. You know, I was really disappointed not to see century rides on there. Because um, I, want, I, I want to somehow get there through riding my bike. But that's not there. And at Seventh-day Adventist, we just kind of cross number seven right off that, that list, right? That just delete that one. And number six, we wouldn't need nearly as much food at Potluck if we followed number six, right? Um, so we just cross some of these right off. So... Why do we do what we do? Where did the health message come from? A lot of what we do comes from Ellen White's writings. And Ellen White wrote some things that were really, really good, and she wrote some things that are kind of peculiar and don't make entire sense. And a lot of us don't follow them, honestly. Uh, one of them, for example, was that, um, that you shouldn't eat vegetables and fruit in the same meal. It's kind of strange. And, I noticed that we actually had a shower where we violated that one. We had vegetables and fruit on the same platter. And I had this kind of tinge of guilt looking at it, and I was like, and then I thought, it's okay. Um, 
So that's kind of one of those ones where, you know, we don't always, we don't always follow, that, follow that one or, or not having milk and sweets in the same meal because it might ferment in your stomach, right? It's, it, huh. Um, but there's laws in Leviticus or there's passages in Leviticus where you, you kind of have the same thing where it doesn't make entire sense. So Leviticus 25:44 is an example of that. As for your male and female slaves who you may have, you may buy male and female slaves from among the nations that are around you. When's the last time anybody went to Canada and picked up their male or female slave? Anyone? So it's not really, I'm glad Peter at least has been following that passage in Leviticus. So it's just not really a thing, right? I mean, we'd be on the wrong side of the Civil War if we followed that one and took that one literally. So um, we have to consider the times that things were written in, the people that they were written to, and we have to consider that, you know, some of these things, and rather than just taking these little passages out literally and applying them to people around you. So Ellen White said a lot of really great things. Some of my favorite quotes that she said are, those who have but a partial understanding of the principles of reform are often the most rigid, not only in carrying out the views themselves, but in urging them on their family and their neighbors. Those who understand the laws of health and who are governed by principle will shun the extremes both of indulgence and of restriction. But our health uh, message is not found only in Ellen White's writings. Genesis 1.29, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. Or Daniel 1.12, Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. These texts make us feel really good about being vegetarian, right? I mean, it seems like it's there. But there's examples of the Bible where people eat meat, right? So the loaves and the fishes. Jesus multiplies fish for all these people uh, is a classic example. Um, so why do we emphasize the texts that are kind of promote vegetarian views? And I think, it, again, it comes, to, comes down to Ellen White has advocated for them. Um, grains, fruits, nuts, and vegetables constitute the diet chosen for us by our Creator. These foods prepared in a simple and natural manner as possible are the most healthful and nourishing. They impart a strength, a power of endurance, and a vigor of intellect that are not afforded by a more complex and stimulating diet. Messages in health. Historically, Adventists have advocated for a simple diet and tried to avoid too much spices and stimulants. So what is the health message today? Ellen White, I mean, that's, it's greater than 100 years ago, right? She died in 1915. So probably a lot of her work was 120 to 150 years ago. So it makes you wonder, so what's happened in the meantime to our health message? And so if we, we go to Larry Beeson. Larry Beeson is the program director for epidemiology at Loma Linda University. And he's been involved in researching the Adventists and the health system uh, that we have for the last 50 years. Adventists have approximately the same proportion of people who die of cancer or heart disease or stroke, but the age that they get diagnosed is much later, he says. Adventists promote vegetarianism, although it's not a requirement, Beeson explained. There is a suggestion that Adventists abstain from alcohol and tobacco, so Adventists are known to be non-smokers, non-alcohol consumers, not consumers of pork products. Beeson said different dietary choices result in varying health outcomes. The more flesh foods you eat, the more Alzheimer's, the more heart disease, the more cancer. The earlier death occurs, Beeson explained. 
So as people move towards meat consumption, there tends to be more adverse health outcomes. Whereas going the other direction, as people move toward removing flesh foods from their diet, there tends to be a delay in the onset of these diseases, he said. So if you're out there thinking, well, I, I like to cook a hamburger every once in a while, and maybe I even like to have a glass of wine. Am, am I welcome in this church? Is this church a safe place for me? Can I come here? Yes. We, we, want, we want you. So we're an inclusive church, right? Um, none of us probably follow the health message perfectly, okay? It is a gift to us to allow us to live longer and be healthier, but it is not something that um, has to be complied with 100% or something, uh, or you can't belong here. The Adventist health message isn't limited to diet. We have also advocated taking the Sabbath off from work to spend time with our God, friends, and family. Taking a break, a 24-hour sanctuary in time, allows us to de-stress and to rest from what we are doing all week long. It gives us perspective on our daily problems to focus on God, our church, and our community. We are taught to trust in God instead of our own means, to put our troubles in God's hands because he's in control. Seventh-day Adventists are able to stick to their healthy lifestyle because they're surrounded by others living the same way, right? Human behavior can be bad or it can be good, but it's contagious. So those around you affect you. Studies show that if your three best friends are obese, you have a 50% likelihood of being obese yourself. Seventh-day Adventists place a high priority of treating the human body as a temple of the Holy Spirit, which means, on the whole, we emphasize diet, exercise, and observe the Sabbath. So I'm thinking a billboard might fit, something like, uh, like this. Oh, or I an advertisement. Have you or a loved one ever wanted to live longer but you can't? Well, now you can. Introducing the Boulder Seventh-day Adventist Church. All you have to do is stop by, listen to our health message, take a dunk in the baptismal tank, and you or a loved one can start living 10 years plus longer today. What do you think? Maybe a new advertising uh, pitch for the Seventh-day Adventist Church? We could, you know, have people mobbing the place and knocking down the door, or maybe, maybe something, a little TV ad that's maybe more like this would be good. Oh, cheerio. Are you a loved one tired of EDS, what I call early death syndrome? You can get rid of it today. All you have to do is come by Boulder 7th Adventist Church in two easy steps. A. Learn the health message. And B. Take a dunk in our baptismal tank and you could add 10 plus years to your lifespan or a family member's lifespan. Cheers. What do you guys think? Do you like the first or the second? Uh... So, so we win, right? We have the attention of the world. We're the best. We live longer. We're awesome, right? <laughs> Yay, us. And everybody else are kind of inferior, right? They're poor people. They die early. But I kind of get a different uh, perspective from Romans 14, 13 through 18. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in of itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, 
but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So being focused on health and living longer kind of misses the point, doesn't it? So what is the point? Jesus said, go into all nations and spread the gospel. Notice it doesn't say bilgy hospitals in all the lands proclaiming how to live longer. It also doesn't say, seek ye first the tree of life. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, Matthew 6, 33. So what is the gospel exactly? Well, I thought, I wonder, you know, if the Adventist message is is really good, and, and obviously we have the gospel, let's look at some outside sources, like Wikipedia, because surely we can look at that and kind of see, and I know that Wikipedia has been politicized and everything, and you may not trust Wikipedia at all, but I just thought we'll take a look at it. And so, if you bring up Wikipedia, what you find is Seventh-day Adventist Church is a Protestant Christian denomination distinguished by its observance of Saturday, emphasis on the imminent second coming or Advent. Seems reasonable, right? Much of the theology corresponds to common Protestant Christian teachings, the Trinity and infallibility of the Scripture. Okay? Distinctive teachings, the unconscious state of the dead and the investigative judgment. Seems reasonable. And we're known for our emphasis on diet and health, holistic understanding of the person, promotion of religious liberty, and conservative principles of lifestyle. So, where's the gospel exactly there? Um, Seventh-day Adventists, it goes on to say, Seventh-day Adventists average 89 years of age compared to 79 average for other Americans. And they conclude that diet and stress management factors account for that. So slightly different than what Dan Bootner came up with, right? And, we're, and it goes on to say that we're expected to abstain from alcohol and tobacco and avoid red meat, and many are vegetarian. If we go to another outside source, the Huffington Post, they had an article in 2011, Can We Live to Be 100? They concluded, eat less, have a positive attitude, stay active, it helps to live like an Adventist. <laughs> Most older, healthy people have one thing in common, good, clean living. Seventh-day Adventists are great role models. They don't drink, use tobacco, and who are vegetarian live an average of eight years longer than other Americans and have a lower rate of heart disease, cancer, and other illnesses. Additionally, Adventists generally follow a strong spiritual practice and make ample time for family two tactics that can reduce age-promoting stress. There's also data from the International Database on Longevity that I thought was interesting. They showed an average, the average very oldest person on the planet appeared to plateau in the mid-1990s at a mere 114.9 years. Since the apparent plateau happened at a time when the reservoir of healthy centenarians was expanding, Scientists concluded that an intrinsic biological limit had been reached. Even if you evade accidents and diseases, your body will steadily decline until it passes the point of no return. The data appeared to suggest. This kind of reminds me of Genesis 6.3. My spirit shall not abide forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. You notice how they're getting close, 114.9 and 120? Scientists have almost come to realize that Genesis 6-3 is correct. Is the gospel a long life? What is it? Mark 16, 15 through 18. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. 
to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So what is the gospel? If I believe it, a bunch of good things will happen in God's name. If I believe it, it'll result in baptism. I can receive it, but if I don't receive it, it's bad. I get condemned. So what is it exactly? It's kind of a bunch of hints there, but it doesn't really tell you. Luke 9, 1 through 6. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. It starts on verse 2 here. And to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, you will leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So what usually is emphasized in this passage is the trust in God, right? You don't take anything with you. God's going to provide for you. And that's, you know, that's something I've seen emphasized before. Um, there's other things that are emphasized as well, the shaking the dust off your feet and the conversation about what that is exactly and when we do that. But there, and then, obviously, the Great Commission, go out and preach the gospel. So what I, what I noticed on this, in this passage is that the first little uh, phrase there, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. But they departed and they preached the gospel and healed. And you kind of get the sense that the kingdom of God and the gospel are the same thing, right? He commands them to, to proclaim the kingdom and they preach the gospel. So the gospel is the kingdom of God. So that raises the question, what's the kingdom of God? So Romans fourteen eighteen, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So I, I like math. I don't know if anybody out there likes math, but I really like math. And math has this transitive property. And it's, it goes something like this. If A equals B and B equals C, then A has to also equal C. So if the gospel is the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is love, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit... I think the gospel is joy, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. If we're invested in the kingdom of God, we're not focused on eating and drinking and living longer, but advancing his kingdom. We're focused on him, which gives us peace from our worries, joy in focusing on how we can help others, not ourselves, and brings about righteousness through focus on him, not on our self-improvement project called healthy living. Letting his spirit live in us is the point, and the gospel is Jesus and the fact that he died for us. So if we're spreading the gospel, we're going to be spreading having righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What does that look like today for us? If we focus on talking about Jesus less on the health message, I think we become a friendlier church, a less legalistic church, in a church where Jesus is the center, not some sort of list of rules. It's also a church that's a lot easier for somebody to come into from our community that doesn't know anything about our culture. By focusing on Jesus, we will naturally be living the parts of the health message that give us longer life. But more importantly, we'll be living for him, not ourselves. The world is about get, 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 right? 
we want to acquire money and power and fame and getting possessions and all this stuff. And health and longer living is part of that, right? We want that too. But we want to start focusing on give, give, give. What we can do for others, what we can do for Jesus. It's God's way, giving. And the health, the health message is one of those things that can be added unto us along the way. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I believe the health message is one of those things that can be added unto you if your focus is on the kingdom of God. Just like a professional athlete, they don't, they don't focus on the rules that they have to eat well and they have to exercise. They're focused on their goal. They want to win in whatever sport that they're, they're competing in. And their health comes naturally. We need to take care of our bodies, not because living to be 100 is the point, but because we want to be as effective as, as possible in spreading Jesus to our community. In order to do that, we're going to want to be healthy. A healthy lifestyle is a side effect, though, of focusing on Jesus and living in him. The gospel is Jesus, just Jesus. May you experience joy, peace, and righteousness as you focus this week on Jesus and what you can do for his kingdom.